Today is Sunday, September 3rd, 2023, and this is Celtics Speed here on CLNS Media, the leading online provider of audio video coverage of your Boston Celtics. I'm Evan Valenti, solo today, episode 535 featuring Celtics blogs Jack Simone. Today's show, powered by FanDuel. Go to FanDuel.com slash Boston, pick a Super Bowl winner, you get bonus bets every time that team wins. All right, everyone, Evan Valenti back inside Celtics beat. Adam Kaufman taking a break for this week. Again, it is the end of summer, but it is still summer. Uh, so we're we're allowed to get take a show off every once in a while. If Kaufman needs one, if I need one, we're willing to sub in and out for each other to make sure that uh, everybody has an enjoyable summer. And the summer coming to a close, which means getting closer to training camp, which means like actual storylines are coming shortly as we're still in that weird sort of mix of like we need to make content out of something so let's overreact to literally everything and with that to react overreact to everything we're bringing in Celtics blogs Jack Simone Jack what's going on brother how are you I'm good I'm good I'm ready to uh, overreact to stuff it's what I've been doing all summer and I'm glad to know that it's not just uh, me <laughs> it's everybody <We're> trying. <laughs> I'm trying to keep the content machine going like as, as in terms of the content machine the last time to the first time jack had me in his podcast how about them c's by the mm-hmm. way and subscribe to that be wonderful uh we talked about pete rogers uh unbelievable <laughs> saga of creating jerseys for every single team win the celtics had last year which was an unbelievable feat uh came out with a bunch of really good ones and later on those of you that don't know i was brought back on with pete to criticize his own jerseys which was really really uh really yeah. tough to do but since then I'm on the waiting list, Jack. I'm on the waiting list for the pink lemonade Jason Tatum jersey that Ooh. I can't wait to get in in, in my uh, my inbox or at least the notification that they're back in the stock so I can buy mine. Because I, I got to tell you, if I, again, I'm not a huge like jersey guy, but if I were able to get both the jersey and the shoes, it might be my favorite outfit of 2023-2024. Yeah, that'd be quite the combo. I mean, I, I have the uh, the T jersey that P. Rogers made. I have the uh, the Boston Marathon jersey, and uh, I mean the pink lemonade's clean. That that'd be quite the fit. I know a buddy of mine wore the uh, shoes to the Barbie Oppenheimer premiere. He was he was rocking right. the pink fit, and so it was. Right. Uh, I pink is pink's. I guess it's in. I guess pink's in. Way in, and the pink lemonades I thought were like the cleanest version of the Tatum ones. That absolutely. That, you know, but I I'll be honest, they've been better as they've rolled out too. It's been a really. Mm. You know, enjoyable part of my Celtics fanhood is to watch Jason Tatum's new shoe take off like that. But we're not talking about shoes in this podcast. We're talking about actual basketball and actual things. And what's funny to me, Jack, is like this became a storyline. I find this kind of like hard to believe, but some people don't seem to think that the NBA champion is the NBA is the basketball champion <laughs> of the world. I don't understand how we haven't come to that consensus because like if you look at FIBA right now, it's a great tournament. I'm not saying it's not. But, like, just the best guys, like, kind of are – they're not all playing. They're not all playing. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this in our podcast, and it's, like, by the very technical term, like, I guess technically you're correct, like, because it's not facing everybody in the world, but – 
I, I saw people on Twitter saying like, oh, so is the Premier League champion, the you know, the world champion of soccer? No, because there are other leagues that are actually close to the Premier League in terms of talent. There, There is nobody in the world, no other league in the world that is even close to the NBA in terms of talent. People uh, from other countries come here to play basketball. I mean, look at the NBA is international. Look at Luka, Giannis, Jokic just won a championship. You're telling me if the winner of the early played the Nuggets right now, they wouldn't get stomped by 50. Like, it's just, it's just a silly argument. It, it's peak summer content, this, yeah. this argument. And it, uh, it's, it's foolish to think otherwise. Of course, the world champions. No one knows. And we're going to see this, uh, preseason. Dallas Mavericks are playing, I think Real Madrid or FC Barcelona. They're playing one of those Spanish teams. And we're going to see just how much of an argument. I think it was Noah Lyles that the track runner has, but I can't imagine he'll have much <laughs> legs to stand on. It's like, if they really cared and really tried, like you want to do a real game of like the Denver Nuggets versus whatever international <laughs> team, it's just not going to go well. Like this USA team, like look, the USA team doesn't send their best guys till till it really matters. The Olympics, like Kevin Durant's not playing, LeBron James not playing, Steph Curry's not playing, Jason Tatum's not playing, Devin Booker's not playing, and the best guys aren't playing. They're just not playing. So like, I don't want to hear how this is like the new official champion of the world when the best guys on the and like in the, this is the only time we get to brag about this, right? Because like. In other international contests, we're not always the greatest. And I say we, like I'm on the U.S. team. Uh, we're not always the greatest uh, squad out there. But for basketball, like it's going to be hard to, to beat a team that really cares. And like again, that team's got LeBron, Curry, Durant, Davis, Tatum, Booker. That team's out. Like Anthony Edwards plays for that team. He's like deep on the bench and not starting the game, sort of thing. Yeah, I mean. Even look at the FIBA World Cup, which is going on right now. Like the, the U.S. just lost to Lithuania. It was their first loss of the tournament. But then you look at, you know, oh, Canada's really good. Maybe they have a chance. Australia was good before they got eliminated. Maybe they have a chance. The only reason these teams are good is because they have NBA players leading right. the way on their team. Right. It's like, it's Shaver Canada. It's even the, the Celtics, or excuse me, uh, Team USA losing to Lithuania. It's Jonas Valanciunas <laughs> leading Lithuania. So it, it's obviously that's, that's the international platform where these countries go to compete, but it's all players who play in the NBA leading the way. And there's some guys who never make it to the NBA that are obviously good, but there aren't enough of them to even come close to competing with the talent. That's like Rudy Fernandez. Like Rudy Fernandez was awesome for the Spanish official yeah. team, but got to the NBA and like, wasn't like, I'm not <laughs> bad, yeah. but he wasn't the Rudy Fernandez we remember from international play. So like, it's not always going to always work out. And again, Fernandez is probably the best example of that. Cause he was supposed to be, this mm-hmm. ginormous megastar, and and he was good. I'm not saying like if you play in the NBA, you're a good player. Like it's just no doubt about that. But he wasn't as impactful as I think a lot of people thought when he came over after like his his tour with the Spanish team. And that team was like the Gasol brothers. Uh, you had Rudy Fernandez. You had um, um, who's the point guard? Give me a minute, Ricky Rubio. I mean, they had, yeah. they had a bunch of dudes that were like NBA caliber guys. And that played really well together as a unit because they played so much basketball together and, and they, they won gold, uh, in the Olympics too. So it's not like they were bad, but it's the same time. It's like, it doesn't always work out, uh, international play and, and US NBA play don't always work out together, but that's right. Let's keep it international though, because the Celtics made a move. Again, this is nice because it's late in the off season and we have a little bit of content to talk about. Seas pickups, Svi Mikhailuk, formerly of Kansas. And of course, the Knicks last year, the Hornets last year, pick him up for a year, see how this goes. And I'll be honest with you, Jack, like I'm not – I said this on Twitter, because, and I'm not like here to, to say that I'm the biggest <laughs> V McIluke fan. I'm not sitting over here grinding V McIluke tape. I'm just not. <laughs> it's not like on my agenda of things to do. I know who the player is. I'm aware of what his skills are and what his skills aren't. 
And it seems like to me, the Celtics are once again, kind of leaning into that three point shooting, trying to space the floor, trying to spread everybody out. And they get a guy who's proficient at that particular spot can play a little bit of three, a little bit of four. Um, but it's another weapon to, to kind of give the, the Celtics more space in the paint, so to speak. And, and like, look, Again, I'm not the, the biggest expert on it, but if you look at people that follow the Charlotte Hornets specifically, not just the Knicks, but more importantly the Hornets, like this is a guy that kind of came on last year and was actually not a bad player and, and and it was a good shooter, but also was a good like secondary playmaker. And that that kind of stuff sort of intrigues me. And as we get ready for the season and you look at the way the Southern's gonna have to stagger their lineups, like I think Svi could be a nice addition. But in the back of my head, Jack. Have Mike Muscala sitting back there thinking about <laughs> all the stuff that we said to pump ourselves up about Mike Muscala and nothing came of that. So is this more of like a, in your opinion, are we talking more of like, this is a, you know, end of the rotation move, but an impactful piece, or is this like Mike Muscala in 2023, 2024? It's weird. Cause like, like you, I, I haven't watched Mike or Steve Mikhailu highlights. Like w- when it came out, it was like the, the smallest crumb of content that we could get in this dead season. So we reacted to like some of his plays with the Hornets for a video for how about them Celtics. And um, he can like handle the ball a little bit. Obviously he shot well. I think he played 19 games for the Hornets. He shot like 40% from three and shot almost five a game. So like dude can shoot obviously, but you look at the Celtics lineup right now and heading into the summer, it's like, okay, maybe you get an extra wing to back up Tatum and Brown. Now you have Hauser and you have Brissett and you have Mikhailu and you have Jordan Walsh. So it's like there's only so many minutes for these guys behind Tatum and Brown because those guys are going to play 30, 35 minutes a night. <clears throat> then you have Porzingis coming in. He's going to play some four. Al Horford and Rob are obviously going to get their minutes. And then you have Derek White, Malcolm Brogdon. There is maybe one consistent roster spot left that's going to play even close to 20 minutes a night. Does that go to Peyton Pritchard? Does that go to Sam Hauser? Do they try out some Jordan Walsh? Like there are so many guys in front of Steve Mikhailu. I think he has the talent to play. But I'm like more confused why they went because it it seems like this was probably there. You know, we heard Lamar Stevens, T.J. Warren, this big group of wings they brought to Boston to work out. Are you going to sign now another wing, or was Steve McIlley the guy you chose over the Lamar Stevens? And if that's the case, I'm confused why you went with let's get a Sam Hauser replica instead of a guy who can play defense a little bit opposite. So it just seems like I guess you can never have enough shooting, but if Sam Hauser is healthy. Why are we playing Steve McKaylee? That's the way I see it. I think they're both great, and I think he's like a nice like, uh, what's the word? The fantasy football term, uh, insurance option, ha- handcuff option, or whatever you want to call it. Like a Sam Hauser gets hurt or goes cold for a certain period of time, you have Steve McKaylee, but it just seems like redundant to have all these wings who do the same thing, which is just shoot the ball. But he he can handle it a little bit, which is fine. It's just I I feel like he's gonna get buried, might spend some time in Maine rather than play. Well, we'll we'll see with that. I agree with the Hauser point of like, if, okay, if you're going to try and play, really play Sam Hauser this year, which was up and down last year, why are you bringing in a guy that seems like a duplicate? Well, they clearly think they need a spot of someone that can do stuff like that consistently, and maybe this is a way to push Sam Hauser a little bit. And that's why yeah. I didn't want the C's to really look at Lamar Stevens so much. And again, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I'm grinding Lamar Stevens tape. Like, this is... Like that's for someone who watches the caps. It's not for someone like me. I, I look to them to tell me what to, how to feel about this. But again, if you look at Lamar Stevens over his course of his career, you know, he was, I, I believe he is Penn state's all time leading scorer in school history. So he can clearly fill it up a little bit, but he comes from the big 10. Those guys play defense. His defensive prowess is what he's quote unquote known for in the NBA. But I was someone I was like, if you just drafted Jordan Walsh, and he did what he did in summer league. And now it's only summer league, but if he did what he did and showed out that he was not just a defensive guy, he could play a little bit on the offensive end and really 
do some interesting things. Like I wouldn't want to take minutes away from that guy. So I was yeah. kind of anti Lamar Stevens because I didn't want Jordan Walsh's development to take any to take any backseat to a guy that can play right now. And I think it's very similar here with V and with Hauser. It's like, look, man, like Hauser's kind of like already the guy that's there. But at the same time, to your credit, to your point, we are in the 2023-2024 basketball. There is no such thing in this league as too much shooting. Like the more guys you can roll out to space the floor, the harder you are to guard, the easier it is for Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Derek White and even a guy like Porzingis to feast on the inside. And as we've talked about ad nauseum, you, me, everybody else that's covered this team, the more like Jason Tatum goes to the free throw line, the better off this team's going to be. And if the lane is open, more opportunities for him to get to the basket. And even a guy like Malcolm Brogdon, a guy like Derek White, a guy like Jalen Brown, either more free throws or more looks at the cup. And that's, and that's always going to be a positive thing. I agree. I agree. I thought it was weird they were going for a wing in general. Cause like you said, they have Jordan Walsh. So you don't really need a Lamar Stevens. You have Sam Hauser. Do you really need another shooter? You even brought even O'Shea Brissett who can play some three and four. And then you have a trio of bigs who are either injury or prone, injury or prone, or 37 years old. And then you have Luke Cornett behind him and nothing else. Like, and you can say, oh, well, Blake Griffin, if he comes back, well, even if he does come back, you could have an extra big just because Blake Griffin is also older. And if he doesn't come back, then you're left with Luke Cornett minutes, which I, I like Luke Cornett. I'm a Luke Cornett fan. But having an extra big who can bring you something else feels like a little more important than another wing at this point. Uh, even another guard in case, I mean, the Malcolm Brogdon situation is a little weird. We don't really know what's going on, if he's happy, if he's still upset that they tried to trade him. Peyton Pritchard, too, like if he doesn't get a consistent role, he wanted to be traded last season. So if he doesn't play this year, he probably doesn't want to be here anymore uh, if he's not going to be playing. So it just seems like a wing should have been lower on the priority list, but... I'm not Brad Stevens for a reason, so I'm, I'm not going to question wing, too much. I think wing depth in general, I think, is something that Boston and a lot of other teams focus on because there's not a lot of good ones in the NBA, and if you can get a couple of good yeah. ones, it makes life easier. I do think they want to take minutes off Tatum and Brown and, like, obviously not nearly the same role, right? Like like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Steve McKaylu, like, they play way different <laughs> okay? But it is, it is a little bit of depth to, to give them a, a blow yeah. a little bit. I do think they're conscious of that. That's why, again, I think they brought Porzingis in because a few things. But one, they know they can't rely on Al Horford to be the guy in the playoffs as he was last year where he had no legs when they hit the Miami series. You know, I just don't think it's something that's really feasible. So I think they're what they're trying to do is, you know, we got to have more bodies to replace Tatum and Brown so they don't play 40 minutes a bunch of nights this year. I, don't, I think they want to avoid that. I think it's really smart. Again, we're in this – this era of trying to, you know, minimize regular season impact on legs. And again, these two guys are 26 and 25. So it's not like they're super old or anything, but at the same time, the more you do now, you know, the better off you're going to be. And again, this is a team that relied a lot on three point shooting last year to a lot of people's chagrins. I think a lot of people were upset about how many threes the C's took. I, I would, I would put myself in that group of like, this is too many. <laughs> Like let's go to let's get something towards the basket. Let's get a, like a a layup or a, a jump shot in the mid range. Again, that's where basketball is kind of headed. But at the same time, get more space, more driving lanes because this team loves to drive and kick more than like I think almost any other team in basketball. They love the drive and kick game. And you know how many times on a broadcast, Jack, did you hear Scal go, uh, you know, drive and kick, penetrate one more time, kick it back out, rotate it around, and get a good shot. Like that's that's seems like the bread and butter of their offense. 
It's Missoula ball, baby. Joe Missoula is, is ready to shoot as many threes as he wants to shoot. Um, I, I had less of a problem with the threes that like Derek White was taking, Al Horford was taking, and more a problem with the let me dribble, dribble, step back at three with 18 seconds on the shot clock. I'm Jason Tatum. I'm Jalen Brown, which usually is fine. Like Jason Tatum historically is a pretty good three point shooter on pull ups, but last year his percentage just took a massive dip. And so when he's taking these, you know, pull ups with ample time in the shot clock it really muddles the offense lets other teams get out in transition so I, I think if you cut back on those a little bit get Tatum to the hoop more I know Sam who I host how about themselves with he's big on you know get Tatum some post reps get him in there I mean he's six nine right he's he's stronger every year get him down there get him playing a little bully ball at least on smaller defenders but um yeah I don't know it's gonna be interesting to me to see how many threes they take this year you can't imagine they take too many more I would I would assume it's either gonna stay same or maybe they take a couple less because not because they're playing less drive and kick but because we see hopefully less of Jason Tatum ISO ISO Jalen Brown ISO ISO where they just pull up which uh those are the threes that I have a problem with mainly I'll say this though like I there's a great uh Twitter follow out there called the B-Ball Index. And they came yeah. up with this scatter plot of on-ball and off-ball gravity. And to to just mm-hmm. put a feather in this other's cap for just a second, because we spend so much time criticizing the drive and kick game, too many threes games, like whatever. Like, yeah, it was a detriment last year. I think they've, they've realized that, and they've, they've tried to remedy the situation a little bit. But they also have like similar off-ball gravity to the Golden State Warriors in terms of how much shooting they have around and how much respect those shooters command. I think a lot of that is, you know, Al Horford and Malcolm Brogdon being just dead-eye three-point shooters last year. They got a lot to do with that. We'll see that. That I wouldn't expect it to kind of go this way this year. But at the same time, like maybe they're like, hey, we saw this. We saw this data. We saw how much gravity our shooting creates the rest of our offense. Maybe we need to lean into that a little bit more and and be a little bit more efficient with our off-ball shooting. And maybe that's something that they can – like, I've been accused of being a little too negative on this podcast recently. So I'm trying to maybe even it out a little bit and trying to find some positive notes here with a 14th man signing. But at the same time, if you're trying to step back and take a look at the bigger picture of the Boston Celtics offense – maybe adding just a little bit more. Because, like, I don't think O'Shea Brissett is going to add too much shooting. I don't think Jordan Walsh is going to add too much shooting. I know nobody likes Smart. Well, not nobody. A lot of people were frustrated with Marcus Smart. A lot of people were frustrated with Grant Williams. But those guys, pending the night, can be good shooters. I'm not going to sit here and say I'm reliant on Jordan Walsh to be a good three-point shooter out of the gate. I'm not going to sit here and say O'Shea Brissett is going to be an awesome three-point shooter this season. They added Kristaps Porzingis, who's a hell of a shooter at seven foot two, and maybe again bringing in a Svi Mikhailuk, who, if you go back to the draft, I was working for Jeff Goodman at the time doing his podcast. He had Scott Van Pelt on uh, right after the draft, and SVP is the best. He like he did it like literally in between Sports Center hits, and was talking about how much. And again, he's not a scout, but he's a guy who's educated about the college basketball process. Was like, I think Savi Mikhailuk was the best shooter in America last year, and he's only going to get better. So maybe that's like a, hey, if we put him in our system, we get the guys are like, as you saw last year, the on-off data with Jason Tatum and literally anybody else on the floor was like through the roof. That's why Sam Hauser had a great plus minus because he was on the floor with Jason Tatum. Maybe if they're like, hey, if we put Tatum on the floor with White and and Savi Mikhailuk and Porzingis and name somebody else, like 
he's going to get a lot of open looks and more open looks for guys that can shoot 36, 37, 38, 40% from three, the better offense is going to run. And maybe that's the idea. Yeah, I mean, you, you really can't have enough shooting in the NBA. I was, I commonly got in fights with Sam, uh, on the podcast last year. He is big on stop shooting so much, take some mid range shots, mix it up. And I was big on just keep shooting the threes. I mean, it's working, right? Like Derek White shot 38, 39% from three. Obviously, like you said, Brogdon Horford shot 44%, which again, probably won't happen again, but it, they should still be, uh, good shooters. And then I think a lot of people got particularly frustrated with it in the playoffs, which was, when Malcolm Brogdon and Al Horford magically shot 10% worse from three. And as much as there were plenty of other issues in that postseason run, like didn't try hard enough on defense, there was the effort problem against the the Heat, uh, there was, you know, blowing leads, all this stuff. Like, at the end of the day, the ball just didn't go in as much as it did in the regular season. Like, they were getting pretty good looks from three, and Al Horford and Malcolm Brogdon just shot literally 10% worse, both of them. You had two of the top four three-point shooters in the NBA in the regular season shoot, like, 35% and 34% respectively when they shot 45 and 34% in the regular. Like that's, that's a huge difference. And it would have taken a massive, you know, leap to get over that. And those guys were playing 30 minutes a night in the postseason, right? Those are your two, your top eight guys. They were on the floor every night. And so it, it's hard to overcome that. And again, that's not me saying this was the only problem the Celtics had in the playoffs. That's far from the truth. But sometimes as much as people nowadays hate to admit it, like, the numbers are the numbers. The Celtics were a really good three-point shooting team. Obviously, a lot of it was that hot start they had. And I do think it's important for them to have a backup option, which didn't seem to be the case a lot last year. Like, if the threes aren't falling, maybe sometimes you do go to the middle. You get you get some layups, you, you, you know, backdoor cuts. And I think they'll have an extra valve for that this year with Porzingis in the post. But I just think the Celtics are a good three-point shooting team. And so just because they didn't, happened to shoot well for a couple weeks in May, which granted is probably the worst time for you to not shoot well. <laughs> Doesn't mean they're going to stop shooting threes next year. So I, I think you make a good point. Getting to see Mikhailu, getting as many shooters as you can to play around the Jays is probably a smart way of thinking. Kaufman, to answer your question, I do not know if FanDuel has a line on the big three all-star game, but I will tell you is they have a bunch of lines on other things. And we'll take that time to tell you today's show is brought to you by FanDuel, football season, folks, as we record, the Patriots are getting ready to play the Titans in about a half an hour here mm-hmm. uh, in the last preseason game. So football season is right around the corner. And uh, because it's around the corner, FanDuel is giving you the chance to win all season long. Because right now, when you bet on a Super Bowl winner, you get bonus bets every time they win in the regular season, just pick any team to win the Super Bowl and you get bonus pets for every single victory. You get to use them on spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. And Coffin, you and I have been talking about for the past couple of weeks, the same teams, you know, your Chiefs, your Eagles, your Bengals to win a lot of games. I'm going to throw two not, other... Not my Chiefs or Eagles. I'll tell you What's that up? right now. What's up? <laughs> I said they're not my Chiefs or Eagles. I'll tell you that right now. Well, I, I just think if you're going to bet them to win the title, you're just going to yeah. win a lot of games because of that. And like, it doesn't matter about the title bet, so to speak. It's more about just racking up those bonus bets. I'm going to throw a couple randos your way, though. Mm-hmm. I kind of love Seattle this year. I think their defense is pretty good. They got another cornerback in there, Devon Witherspoon from Illinois, to, to help out uh, McCollum there from uh, like tennis, uh, Texas State or something like that. He was pretty excellent. But they have a great defense. I love Geno Smith. They have a good running game. They have three wide receivers that are legit. I think they're going to be in an easy division to win, especially if Brock Purdy is not 100%. And I kind of love the Steelers. I kind of think the Steelers under Mike Tomlin just tend to win a lot of games. 
Uh, they tend to win around nine or 10 and that's good for some money. So as much as we plug the, the big three, as I say, the chiefs, the Eagles and the Bengals, I'm going to throw two dark horses your way uh, with the Steelers and the Seahawks, respectively. So visit FanDuel.com slash Boston and start earning bonus bets with America's number one sports book. It's FanDuel.com slash Boston. 21 plus and present in MA. Uh, first online real money wager only. $10 deposit required. Refund issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Restrictions apply. Max bonus $50 unless specified otherwise. See terms at fangle.com slash sportsbook. Hope is here. Gambling helpline ma.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. Evan Valenti back with Jack Simone of Celtics blog and a kajillion other things, but most importantly here, Celtics blog, uh, talking about the seas again, more about, again, they're off ball gravity. The team has added another three point shooter in Svi Luke. They have again, some vacancies in that department, but one of the ones that I don't think people are talking about enough in terms of that off ball gravity and how it's going to help them. The Porzingis addition, like, as much as I've talked about how nervous I think people should be about the addition of Chris Tapps Porzingis and the, the plantar fasciitis is already becoming a problem and the season hasn't started yet. Training camp hasn't started yet. The thought of the seven foot two, like two guard being on the floor at the same time as Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown is I think a very attractive option. And as you look at, or think about and compute about how this offense might look. I feel like Chris Stapps Porzingis might have the easiest time of his life in this <laughs> lineup with Derek White and the Jays. I think he'll feast um, whenever he plays. I think it's going to be one of these things of like, yeah, they'll manage him. Maybe he won't play him back to backs, whatever, whatever. When it looks right, when it's going well, they're going to be an offense that's going to be really, really difficult to stop because guys like Porzingis are going to get wide open shots because all the attention the other two guys bring on them. And I think, again, go back to the off-ball gravity stuff. He's another dead-eye shooter, someone you have to be cognizant of 30 feet away from the basket. And if he has nobody on him, you might as well put three points on the board. Yeah, I've been saying this all summer. Like before – or excuse me, right after the trade went through, it's – all Marcus Smart's gone. And I love Marcus Smart. I've always loved Marcus Smart. Obviously, he's probably my favorite Celtic of all time just because of like when I started watching the game and he was always there. So that, that would, that sucked, right? And then the plantar fasciitis comes out. Oh, is, is he going to play all these games? This is a seven foot two, seven three guy. He averaged 23 and eight last season and three assists and shot 50% from the field and 38% from three. And it feels like no one cares. It feels like no one's excited about Porzingis. It feels like all the focus is on, oh, he's injury or prone. Oh, Marcus Smart's gone. And, all those things are true, but at the end of the day, the Celtics have a guy who just averaged 23 points on near 50-40 shooting. Like, I feel like people are really not comprehending just how good Kristaps Porzingis was last year for the Wizards, right? He wasn't played at an all-star level, and as much as, again, love Marcus Smart, Brad Stevens got Kristaps Porzingis and two first-round picks for Marcus Smart. Like, Again, that comes with the injury issues that come with the concerns, the plantar fasciitis. But when Kristaps Porzingis is on the court with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, 
that might be the best trio in the NBA. <laughs> if they're all healthy, that might be the best. That that That's the top, right? And then you add in the fact that they have an all-defensive guard in Derek White, an all-defensive center in Robert Williams. You have Al Horford, who just shot 44% from three. You have Malcolm Brogdon, who just shot 44% from three. And then you have all of these, you know, role players. You have Sam Hauser, who's a three-point sniper. You have, you know, um, <clears throat> Peyton Pritchard, who can shoot it. You have Steve McCallow, Shippers, all these depth pieces now behind these guys. Jordan Walsh. The Celtics have three guys who could legitimately score 20 points a night this summer. And usually when you're talking about like a, a guy like that, you're like, oh, well, can he defend? Kristaps Porzingis is an amazing defender, too. He's great in the drop. He, he He's not as quick in the pick and roll, but he's seven foot three, so he could probably make up for a little bit of that on the defensive end. He just averaged 1.5 blocks last year and almost to steal a game. Like, he's a great defender added to an already great defensive team. And I feel like since, you know, everyone, oh, they took so many threes last year, they were the second best defensive team in the regular season last year. And you're adding Kristaps stops Porzingis to know you're losing Marcus Smart, but you still have an all-defensive point guard in Derek White, who, as much as I love Marcus Smart, was better than Marcus Smart on defense last year. Like, I just, I feel like people aren't fully excited about Porzingis, who, you know, not to mention, played 65 games last year, <laughs> and he'll have more leeway to get some rest. I, I feel like people are really not excited enough about the Porzingis edition. Like, this is, he is going to be so, so, so fun to watch next to the Jays next year. He's going to open up the floor. They, they've had, you know, they, they've tried out some big threes in terms of, okay, Kyrie was there, and then they had Kemba there, but they've never had a star big man with them, right? And so I think it's going to give them a new look. I, I'm super excited for Przingis. I feel like more than the consensus, and I feel like the consensus would be a lot more excited for Kristaps. One of the interesting things, I think, you know, you mentioned it, the ability to have three 20-point scorers in the team at the same time. Obviously, at, at some point during the season, they'll have them all on the floor at the same time. It's going to be a you know, it's good. That, there's three you're closing five right there. I think we'll add Derek White, and we'll see – what happened yeah. to the last spot. When you think about adding another 20-point score on the team, you think about how many teams in the NBA can boast three 20-point scores on the same team at the same time. The one really quick one that you can come up with in terms of, oh, yeah, they're going to be able to add – they have three 20-point scores at the same time. That's the Phoenix Suns. That's Kevin Durant. That's yeah. Devin Booker. That's Bradley Beal. And guess what the Phoenix Suns are? A pretty loaded roster with top-end talent, uh, a team that is a very interesting team in the Western Conference, and a team that's probably going to be heard from in terms of, you know, people betting on the NBA title or the Western Conference mm-hmm. game. Like, like, obviously, the Nuggets, as we've talked about ad nauseum on this show, the Nuggets should be, and and I, I mean, we'll see what it is come tip-off, but they should be the favorites to win the whole thing considering – how easily they did it last year. Ran but through. <laughs> you, you look at a team like Phoenix, that's a team that could threaten the best team in the league. No question. Boston's just the Eastern Conference version of that. And I would add this, they're, I think, a slightly deeper team altogether than the mm. Phoenix Suns. Like Phoenix went out there, and I think Phoenix is going to be a very interesting experiment. I can't wait to see what it looks like on the floor. I can't wait to watch 82 games of how they managed to put things together. But, like, you look at that roster, and, yeah, they got a top four of Kevin Durant and Devin Booker and Bradley Beal uh, and uh, DeAndre Ayton. That's an interesting four guys. But after that, you got a bunch of vet minimum guys, and it's really kind of scary. Boston has, you know, a, a, I think a pretty good top four with Derek White and, and, and Tatum and Brown and Porzingis. But I kind of like some of the other pieces. Like, Rob Williams is a little bit more, I don't know, um, accomplished than most guys in the Phoenix Suns. Al Horford, 
is a little more accomplished than any, than most guys in the Phoenix Suns. And say what you will about Malcolm Brogdon, and, and I've been uh, a guy that's given him a lot of flack over the past couple of months. Like, he just has more experience than, than, than most guys on Phoenix's roster. So can Boston really be a better version of the of the Phoenix Suns, but out east when you look at everything all together? I absolutely agree. I mean, like you said, the top four in Phoenix is great, but then you've got – I mean, if you're each going one to one with the rosters, it's Robert Williams versus Jock Londale, I think is who they have down there, or, or Drew Eubanks, or one of those two guys. I get them mixed up, and then it's Eric Gordon versus Malcolm Brogdon, and then <clears throat> there's just a lot more depth. And there are plenty of other teams around the league who could have a guy go for 20 points, like Philly has Embiid and Tyrese Maxey and kind of James Harden, but <clears throat> like they could all go for 20 points. Um, but it just feels like the Celtics legitimately have three established all-star players like Porzingis hasn't been an all-star in a few years but he played at an all-star level for the Washington Wizards last year and if they won a few more games he probably would have been in the game um and then you add the role players in and I've been huge on Derek White and I really think he could have an even better season um as the team starting point guard and as much as it's weird to say because Porzingis is in town I think he'll scoring will go up I think he'll have the ball in his hands a lot more like he's gonna be great Horford's gonna take a step back but that's because he's probably gonna be needed for the playoffs I think Robert Williams is another player you know people don't talk about enough because last year he didn't play to the best of his ability but that's because he was coming off surgery right like he's full off season now knock on wood to get healthy and come back and play well next to Porzingis and now I don't know. I'm very excited. I've seen a bunch of like criticism about the trade. You know, you see it all online like, oh, the Celtics won't be as good in the regular season, but maybe they'll be better in the playoffs. It's just I feel like people are really underestimating just how good Kristaps Porzingis is at basketball. Like he's he's so good. And so far, like not to not to brag, but I, I do think Brad Stevens has a good handle on how this job mm. is gonna it works and and what he needs to do to to make tweaks to improve the team either a little bit or incrementally. And I do think, as I've said a, a lot of times in the show, that Brad is very willing to watch this roster for half the season and then go find a, another Derek White-type trade out there that really helps yeah. complete the roster. I, I, I think they're done for now. I think they won't make any big moves come the trade deadline. But I do think that, that Brad has a, a good handle on how this job works. And I, I'll give a little shout-out to a good friend of this program, Ben Rohrbach, who writes for Yahoo Sports, he put together the top GMs of the NBA the other day for Yahoo Sports. And I found it very interesting how much blowback that this got because of where Brad Stevens was listed. And people were like, oh, how is Brad Stevens? He came in at number nine of all the GMs in the NBA. I think is extremely fair considering they haven't won a title yet. But Brad has done a nice job of building a roster. Uh, he is behind a couple of guys that I think people are angry about. Colby Altman, probably the first and foremost one there. Troy Weaver, the Pistons, like that team has just been bad. And they've hmm. been able to accumulate talent because they've been bad, which is a different yeah. sort of object than <laughs> than some other guys. Like I think it's a little not fair because you got Kate Cunningham and Jay Nivey and a bunch of dudes. Kevin Pritchard, I, I have a hard time <laughs> with that. I really do. But at the same time, like – if you go through the list, Brad Stevens is ahead of guys like Tim Connolly, who built the Denver Nuggets. <laughs> and is the reason why Jokic like is on the Nuggets. Zach Kleiman, who's done a great job with Memphis. David Griffin, who's built two different teams. And look, if Zion's healthy all the time, they're definitely way different. And Sam Presti, 
who you know has this <laughs> un I just an unlimited uh, just a, a a maximum ammo amount of picks at his disposal at some point. So I think it's interesting to look at his particular place in the hierarchy. But I do think they got him kind of right. Like he's kind of in the top third of GMs in the league, and the only thing that's really keeping him from the top five, in my opinion, and, and again, I think Riley being six is a little disingenuous. I think Pat Riley, considering the success of the Miami Heat over the past couple of years with the undrafted guys they've had, <laughs> it deserves to be a little bit higher. But, like, if he wins a title, then he vaults into that top five status for me because, uh, again, he hasn't missed. He just really <laughs> hasn't missed. Uh, is You know, getting Al Horford back for Kemba Walker has been huge. Um, I mean, look. As much as people want to gripe about certain things, like, and I was chief among them, getting Malcolm Brogdon was smart. The Derek White trade was mm-hmm. brilliant. They've done a lot of really smart things and they've built, they haven't sacrificed too much of their future to have success in the present. Like, they're not trading a kajil, like five second round picks for Jay Crowder. That's, that, that, <laughs> that's not happening here. You know, they're not mortgaging all of their picks to go maybe get a guy that fits. They've made a couple of moves on the margins with Chris Epps Porzingis being the most recent one of these. And considering what Brad has done so far, like you have to have a little bit of confidence in that this is going to work out at least in the regular season. I think Brad, again, is in that top third of guys in the league, despite the fact he's never had this job before. He's just thrown into it and he's done a really good job. Definitely. And I mean, you even look at their future picks, like the Celtics have every single first round pick except 2028 moving forward. And that was to That's get Derek White. Them, right. That's a swap with with San Antonio. Yeah, they, they don't have control over it because it was in the Derek White trade. And outside of that, they have all their picks. And and we I mean, since we just compared them, let's look at the Suns. How many picks do they have? Literally zero. <laughs> they literally don't have control of their first round pick until 2030 or later. And hey, you have Bradley Beal, Kevin Durant, Dem Booker. Great. The Celtics have Tatum, Brown, Porzingis, and every draft pick at their disposal, or most of them. And it, a lot of people got mad at, at Brad Stevens on draft night, or at least we did because we were streaming it and trying to make a video when he traded back four times to get Jordan. I was Jordan at like midnight that night. I was so mad. I was like, dude, just pick somebody. I'm, I'm upset. Like, it's rock. We were waiting to record a video. We're like, okay, we'll just react to the highlights of the guy at the draft, post it as a video. And then it was, oh, they got this guy. Nope. Traded again, again. So we were up late, but as, as much as people mock him, those second round picks, they're basically just cash, right? You, you can just trade those. You can throw those in and it's probably a little bit better to trade that many for Jay Crowder when you have a gazillion of them, uh, not like the Bucks. But <clears throat> Brad Stevens done a great job. I, I, like you said, he hasn't really missed, right? He, like everything he's done has worked out pretty well. I feel like the Porzingis uh, trade because they gave up Marcus Smart is probably the first, like, okay, let's, let's, you know, dip into the deep end a little bit. Let's see how far we can push this. And if it doesn't work out, people are going to, you know, go for his head. But if it does work out, it's genius, right? Like, and, and as much as, again, love Marcus Smart, you try to separate the the fan or the, you know, the fact that how much you respect Marcus Smart, how much you love watching the Celtic uniform from the value you traded Marcus Smart and a second for Kristaps Porzingis and two firsts. And if you ask anybody outside of Boston, and obviously the bias is there, love Marcus Smart. Porzingis is just a better player, right? Like, and, and they do different things, and there's the whole, you know, Marcus Smart's the leadership and the locker room and the community, and I'm not ignoring that. But pure basketball value, 
that was a great deal. <laughs> it was Porzingis and two first. And again, we'll see how, how it works out because you're sacrificing a big voice in the locker room, a leader, all this stuff, and a great guy in the community in Boston. And it's, it's definitely a risk. I'm not saying it's not a risk, but up to this point, the only mistake Brad Stevens made was re-signing Ennis Freedom. Uh, that's literally the only bad thing he's ever done. <laughs> and that was bad, but it turned into trade for Daniel Tice. So I guess it all worked out, but literally everything else he's done outside of that one signing a plus. So it, it's hard to, you know, critique. One thing I'll say though, we got a little flack for this. I think it was last week. All the weeks blend together now, but it's like, <laughs> you know, we had Dan Greenberg on and his point was like, this is this trade. All the all the Brad trades have been kind of like no brainer so far. Yeah, the Malcolm Brogdon trade for as you know much as people want to again, I was part of that. That was a no brainer trade. Like, duh, let's do that. Yeah, Eric White was again. People didn't like it, and I fought those people tooth and nail. And I was like, these guys don't understand basketball. Agree. These guys <laughs> literally perfect for the way they want to play. Yeah. That was a no brainer. Training Kemba for Al Horford was like a lot of these have been no brainers. This one is a little different. And mm-hmm. I think that we, again, we mentioned last week, it could sink our, you know, you know, sink Brad Stevens' career a little bit if yeah. it doesn't go well, because he's on the hook for 30 million for the next three years. Um, and if you're not maximizing your title window with the Jays right now, then what are you really doing? Right. At 25 and 26, they're about to enter their primes. You better be maximizing every opportunity you have because as we've just seen just two years ago, just because you get to the finals, you come within two wins of winning the NBA title. It's not guarantee you anything in this league. It does not. Mm-hmm. So this is a humongous risk for the Celtics. But, and I, again, we've talked about that particular portion of it ad nauseum on this show. I do want to at, at least give a little light to this could be an absolute home run of a pick or of a trade, and it could really open up what was been so frustrating about Boston's offense in the playoffs the past couple of years, especially against certain teams. This might be, you know, the, the uh, decoder to unlock the Da Vinci code or whatever the hell I'm looking for, whatever example I'm looking for at 11 o'clock on a Sunday night. But it, it, it is, it gives them an answer to a problem they couldn't answer before. Instead of relying on the perimeter so much, and again, it's not really Porzingis' game to post up a ton, but at least it's an option. You know, as much as uh, people want to gripe about him, Marcus Smart on the low block was a smart play, and it always was, and it always killed it. They didn't run more of that stuff for Marcus because he was a great yeah. not only scorer on the block, but a facilitator out of the block as well. We're all clamoring for Jason Tim to, to spend more time in the post. Uh, I think Jalen Brown has made a, a lot of, uh, jumps in in terms of his low post play when he has smaller defenders on him. Like, I think there's potential there, but Porzingis is going to be sort of the, the straw that stirs a drink a little bit. And look, we know what this team looks like when they have the guys they've had over the couple of years. They might get to the finals. They might win the finals. But th- that's not guaranteed. And neither is this, but this is different. And because it's different, it might have more success because it might be something that people can't prepare for as easily. And I think that's part of the of was part of the equation when they made the trade. Definitely. And in Brad Stevens' defense, he was a a cold footed clipper away from this being another pretty slam dunk trade. Uh, unfortunately, I, I tried uh, to mention that because it really bothers me. Because when I went to bed, it was it was yeah. going to be Brogdon, and then I woke up and, <laughs> and I was like, "This is not the trade that I went to bed." 
Like, yeah, that was amazing. <laughs> and now here we are. But this is what I say all the time to try and not to justify it, but to try and, and smooth it out a little bit. At some point, one of the three guys had to go if he didn't want to tie. Yes. Okay. I agree. And they made it, they, because this blew up, they had to make a decision. And I think they made the right decision. Um, as painful as that is, like Jalen and Jason are just better basketball players. And at the end of the day, you invested in talent more than grit and grind and hustle and that stuff. And I'm not saying Jalen and Jason aren't capable of that. You, you invested more in the talent than the intangibles. And a lot of times in, in the NBA, talent wins up. Agree. And I, I think the reason this was open to, and like you said, Porzingis is going to bring a whole new dynamic to the Celtics offense for teams to worry about. But the reason you're able to trade Marcus Smart is Derek White was phenomenal last year in the playoffs. Malcolm Brogdon won six man of the year. You have two starting cal- – you, excuse me. You had three starting caliber guards on the roster. Trading one for an all-star big man is a no-brainer. If you just say that, we have three starting guards. We traded one for an all-star caliber big man. That phrase alone is – yeah duh when it was Marcus Smart hurts a little bit more but like from a roster building perspective trading one of those guards to pair the Jays with a star big man who could also another thing people don't talk about is going to take the load off of Horford and Robert Williams a little bit more creating a three-headed monster there it just it just made sense from a roster construction construction standpoint excuse me uh, although I don't know if I'll be able to forgive the Clippers for what they did <laughs> all right all right we'll get over it as soon as training camp rolls around be ready to go yes you know one of these typical shows in the middle of September now late August early September we're just killing time and I think this time you know we try to be a little bit more positive on this show I think we've been I don't know if rightfully slammed for being a little negative we're just asking questions <laughs> right yeah asking questions and having discussions and yeah there's a lot to worry about with Porzingis there's a lot to worry about with this roster and I think it's valid to raise these points but at the same time we have to be balanced we have to be fair we have to educate the public and I think we went a little more optimistic on this side just because we had a little bit more time and we're getting close and again we're just kind of running out of things to talk about at this point but <laughs> I got to tell you, uh, for your debut, Jack, I think we uh, we crushed it, so to speak. I think uh, I think we crushed it. I think it will be what is the first of hopefully many times on the show. Jack, before we go, please plug everything you do because it's a mile long. Yeah, it's a lot. Well, we'll keep it Celtics just for the case of this podcast because that's what the people care about. Uh, how about them Celtics, which is also part of the CLNS family now as of the last few weeks. So oh, how yeah. about them Celtics on YouTube? Subscribe to that channel. Subscribe to CLNS, obviously, as well. And then I write for Celtics blog. You can check my work out there. And then if you want to follow me on Twitter, that's Jack Simone NBA. But uh, yeah, that's all the Celtics stuff. There's there's other stuff because we're grinding in the NBA sphere. But for the Celtics people, that's where you can find me. That's it. That's Jack Simone. I'm Evan Valenti. Adam Kaufman will be back next week with me. Who the guests will be? We don't know. What we'll talk about, we don't know. But we'll be here for you every single week. We have the training camp. We might have an announcement as we get towards the, the actual regular season about this show and the format and all that stuff. So stay tuned for that. Uh, but make sure you subscribe to this show on iTunes, on Spotify. Subscribe to CLNS Media and How About Them Seas on YouTube for sure. Make sure that you get in on this FanDuel promo. This is outrageous. I don't know how many times I have to scream this from the mountaintops. You can win every single week just by picking a Super Bowl winner and that team winning in the regular season. FanDuel.com slash Boston to win money every week. I promise you the Chiefs are going to make you rich. So for Jack, 
myself, Evan Valenti, for CLNS Media. You guys have a wonderful Labor Day weekend. We'll see you next week with Adam right here on Celtics Beat.